Welcome to I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony. And I'm another of your hosts, Sydney. And today we are talking about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. This is going to be an exciting episode. Yeah, I feel I'm like excited for it. You mentioned to me a little while ago, you said, we want to get some more like big ticket names on there. We've done a few. We just yeah, did Casablanca. Like, yeah, and I feel like it's important that we that we consider more than one possibility of like of who is deciding what is the can. Absolutely. But I also think that part of what we've promised you is that we're going to cover these like big fat things mm-hmm. so that you don't have to. Exactly. So I yeah. just, I feel like we should do some of them. Yeah. And that's what we're doing this week. So which you want to talk about first, Butch Cassidy or Velvet Underground? Well, I can tell you what I have to say about Butch Cassidy. It's going to be very fast because I know literally like an embarrassingly little. I was saying to you earlier, I feel like there is like a thing about it that is generally known like the end of Thelma and Louise or like Sixth Sense. Like a thing that everybody knows happens in this movie and I I don't know it or I dropped it out of my mind because I don't know what else. Like I believe that the film is going to be a Western. It is. And that's all I have for you. Yeah, it is a Western starring. And also I don't want you to tell me. Well, you can tell me who's starring. Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Oh, Paul Newman. Oh, I was going to pitch for the envelope. Cool hand Luke. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. That's an absolutely good one. I was going to pitch it to you, but I was worried you were going to be like, no, I'm not doing that. Okay, great. It, it I, is, don't, I don't promise to like it. Neither do I. Honestly, I tried it once and didn't like it, but I was also watching it alone. Also, at like we could do, I have seen Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, I've never seen but it. But it was a long time ago. Okay. Anyway, I have seen this movie, but I was like eight years old. So I remember one line, which is not a spoiler, which is, next time you say to go someplace like Bolivia... Let's go someplace like Bolivia. Oh, great. That's the only line I remember. Sounds like fun. Yeah. I, I Honestly, I, I, I've got nothing else about it. I, I mean, I, it is an early 70s movie, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Do I think I'm going to like it? I feel like it has everything working against it. Like when it was made, the genre, the male focus. Mm-hmm. But I have this weird premonition that I might not hate it. I don't know. I can't explain it. I feel like I might actually kind of like it. Do you think it has to do with the fact that like the two leads, their reputation is just, they are just so goddamn likable? And like, so cool. Like they're just so cool and- it's Just so like the guy you want to be. And I yeah. mean that gender neutrally. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. just have that vibe and they're both in this movie. Maybe, maybe it's that I think it's going to be very beautiful, but lots of things are beautiful that I don't want to see, like... Chinatown. Yeah, or The Revenant. Mm, Yes, that's Um, true. What a beautiful nature documentary with a lot of screaming in it. I wouldn't know because I had the presence of mind to not. I have never seen Ari so angry walking out of a movie. For the listeners, Ari, my wife, usually doesn't get angry at most things. Yeah. Walked out of The Revenant and literally turned to me and was like, Fuck that movie. <laughs> Fuck that stupid man bullshit. She was like doing the jerk off motion. She was like, oh, I'm a fucking man. Like she was pissed. Yeah, that does not sound like her. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe this will be stupid man bullshit. I feel like it, how could it not be? And yet, and yet, like I went into Chinatown pretty pessimistic and then it, I didn't like it. So, yeah. but I, I, I don't know. I just feel like this might have a little more. Je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Like winkiness. Yeah, I I think it is meant to be a little bit of, well... I mean, it's not going to be Roman Polanski. No, it's not a Roman Polanski movie. I don't even remember who the director is. I do remember it being... Probably someone really important. I I do remember hearing that it is a little bit of a comment on the genre, not like totally, not in the like super meta way that meta things are now. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little moody. The other thing I remember is that there is a sequence in the movie that the song Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head is playing. And it's like, okay. it's very counter to yes. that. It's one of those things where it's contrasting the action on the screen. Yes, I think that's what I'm trying to say. I'm expecting a little bit of a sort of just like conscious thoughtfulness. Yeah, I agree. So it'll be interesting. Will those thoughts be thoughts I like? I'm not sure. Not yeah. sure. But I feel like it has better odds. Yeah, we'll see. But it's probably going to be pretty... Kind of slow and too long because it was made in the early 70s. Absolutely going to be too long and indulgent of some points of view that I don't espouse, but we'll see how get pastable that is. Yeah. And then Velvet Underground. Okay. So to even things out, I have some familiarity 
with Velvet Underground. I know I feel like the heart of the work is the banana mm-hmm. Andy Warhol album. And I listened to that a lot in like middle school. So I know that album pretty well. I'm excited to revisit it. I haven't listened to it a lot since, but like I can hum most of it in my head. I'm not sure. I know we're saying Velvet Underground and I haven't said this to you yet, so maybe it's not fair, but I think it's possible that part of what we want to do is Lou Reed. I would like to do Lou I Reed was separately. At, well, so I was looking at like the Velvet Underground album listing and i'm i'm not sure that there is more than the banana thing no there's five honestly worth our time but i think this is part of the work is like is it just that album that's important or is it like the people as a whole okay i would like to do lou reed separately because i think he's important enough and did enough so yeah i guess i was just hoping that walk on the wild side was gonna come up is that him or is that that's him i think it's just him yeah and that is a great song Okay. We'll let you know. Yeah, in a couple of minutes, you'll know what decisions we made around this. But definitely the Andy Warhol, we're we're definitely covering that, and then we'll see what else feels. Yeah. They only have a few studio albums. Their discography is not huge. Yeah. I feel like ever since- I just like, when people talk about it, I feel like, what do they mean besides- I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I- We'll do, we'll look into it. I have like, not studiously avoided, but I have managed to avoid pretty much any knowledge of Velvet Underground or their music. Sure. I'm sure there is someone out there who's like, no, Anthony, I played you a Velvet Underground song in 2006. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember what it sounds like. I will say they did not sound like I thought they were when I first listened to the album, which is silly because it's like, what did I have to form expectations on? I was whatever, 12. But it wasn't what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be much rock and rollier. I think I thought Velvet Underground was going to be like what Iggy Pop and like the Stooges were Mm -hmm. because they're both a little eyeliner-y. Sure, sure. But that's not, no, that's later. Yeah. So I'm excited to do Velvet Underground because this is one of those things where I was like, I hope you're cool with doing it because it is a glaring gap in my knowledge that I have been like truly faking my way through. I'm excited about it. And I think I'm excited to see what your reaction is. Yeah. So I guess we will jump quickly into the future. And when we come back, you're going to know how we feel. See you there. Hello, it's us in the future. Hello, we are cozier than normal. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we had some sound issues because if any of you have ever worked with sound, you never don't have issues. Yeah, it never just works. There's yeah. always like you have four different things to do at any one given time with a sound system and only three of them <laughs> will ever work. Yeah, and this time our sound issue means that we are sitting on either side of one microphone. So it, it's a, a lot of intimacy for me certainly. yeah me too i know as i was setting this up i was like my thing about being radically protective of other people's personal space my own like do whatever you want but other people's personal space my worry that i'm encroaching on other people's personal space in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable is probably going to be going haywire for the next five minutes no i wasn't always this way the pandemic did this to me mm-hmm. i used to be comfortable around other people Mm-hmm. And now, and it's not even a germs thing. It's just that there just were so many fewer people for so long. And I just like got accustomed to like just having like a much larger bubble. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, God, I forgot about like eye contact. Yeah. And I think in the continuing question of are we both are autistic? We autistic? <laughs> are we both autistic? Both of us, if you could see us right now, we're both like vacillating between. <laughs> we're like, very, do, we, do we do it? Yeah. Very intense eye contact or fully talking with our eyes closed. No in between, because we both know that we need to talk down the can in order to be heard. So we have to stay straight. We can't just look off into space. No, I'm switching between you and the mic. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so here we are in that space. We watch a lot of TikTok. And if you watch a lot of TikTok, it is eventually going to tell you you're autistic. I think if you're us, it certainly does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which uh, said something. I think Ari does not get autistic TikTok. Well, it's so first I was getting all the autistic TikTok. And then I started getting ones that were like making fun of people who were like, why does every video I get want to tell me that I'm autistic? And it's like, "Mm, yeah, I wonder why every video you get is asking you about a weird thing that you do yeah that is a scarecrow (laughs) yes (laughs) but i have decided that i'm not autistic (laughs) we're also both neurodivergent and the border between adhd symptoms and autistic symptoms is so thin sometimes so it's like well of course we're gonna get that content we do a lot of the same shit anyway 
So we okay, yeah. We don't we don't want to talk about the things that we did because we didn't like them. But <laughs> well, we haven't really talked about it too much. We we saved it for the pod. But I have gotten the sense that you no, we're just pattering because we have nothing. I have no good news for you. Yeah, it's funny when we were setting our next couple of episodes because we we do bank these a little bit, and so we were setting our next couple of episodes, and we were preparing for I think like two or three episodes from now. I was like, what should we do next? And you were like, can we please? <laughs> Please leave the 60s behind, <laughs> which I am more can than happy just, to do. I, yeah, can we do something that's going to be fun? Yes, you were like, I just want to have some fun. It just felt, it really felt like vitamins, this cycle. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with um... Velvet Underground. No. Oh. That looked like a guitar, but it was a gun. Oh, okay. Let's start with Rich Cassidy. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. So on Silent 4. Okay. One, two, three. Slow. No, thank you. But charming. (laughs) I really, I came with an open heart. I wanted to like it. I really did. Yeah, so did I. I wanted to not dislike it at the Mm -hmm. very least. I knew it was going to be stupid boy stuff, but like sometimes I like a little stupid boy stuff. There's a way to do it right. Yeah, like it's a comment on the Western. So like there was space there. Yeah, but I found it... Just like not a single thing happened in that movie from a character development perspective. Like nobody learned anything. Yeah, that's true. Nobody, their relationship did not change or evolve at all. Yeah. There was some plot yeah. and no story to be like, whatever, just film school about it. Right. So the the story of the movie is we are following Paul Newman and Robert Redford, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, respectfully, as they rob a train and the owner of that train line gets so mad that he hires what is described in some of the materials as a super posse. <laughs> yeah. Basically like the Avengers of Lawmen. But we to never chase them meet down. the super posse That's or true. even confirm their identities. It's like we watch these two men who are very charming. Yes. And I was going to bring that up. We we'll come back to it. We watch these two men clop around on horses through different environments yeah. and become increasingly impressed with their trackers. Mm-hmm. And then we watch them clop around on another continent for a while. And then eventually they get caught up with by different people. Yes, this is true. <laughs> like, I guess that final shootout was sort of fun to watch. Well, no, but it wasn't fun. It's like any five minutes of it would have been fun to watch. Yeah, it felt like they had a lot of ideas for scenes and like didn't. Yeah, it was like, it's like, it's like waiting for Godot. <laughs> uh, this is gonna, I've never read it. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. We should do that. That would be fun. As much as I hate it and know it already, mm-hmm. but not a lot happens. Yes, that they, much I knew. They wait. But it's also like not, it's like part of the point of it is that they can't grow. Mm-hmm. That's like the thesis of the thing is that people don't change. But like everything that I know about movie writing and everything that I like about storytelling is like seeing people and relationships evolve and it can be subtle, but it wasn't. It just wasn't. They just do their thing. And there was, there is something like a little bit, I can't imagine it's a spoiler to say, but they die in the end. No, it's not. It's, not. <laughs> it's like, there's something a little bit satisfying about watching them do their thing, like to the death. Yeah. But like, I don't know. It just went on for so long and it wasn't even that long. Yeah, that's true. It's an hour. The movie's an hour it's and 50 minutes long. Hours and yeah. It feels like a lot. Days. Well, I think you almost immediately, like as soon as the movie started, you out loud went, uh-oh, a lot of visual storytelling happening here. <laughs> I'm an audio learner. Yeah, and you you explicitly were like, this is going to be a problem for me. Yeah. And I think I realized- But there wasn't even visual storytelling though. There was just- Visuals. visuals. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, a comparison that I thought of, but this is actually a movie that I do like. I was like, if I were being charitable- Mm-hmm. I would compare it to Mad Max. Because I was like, it's just clopping. It's just about clopping. It's not even about anything that happens. It's just about them clopping. And I remember saying after Mad Max, because the criticism at the time, because that's where we were in feminist times, the criticism was like, I thought I was going to see a movie about Tom Hardy. And it ended up being a movie about Charlize Theron. And I didn't like that. And so I thought I was going to a movie about Charlize Theron. And then after the movie, I was like, no, I went to a movie about driving. <laughs> yes. Like they drive and then they drive back. 
Yes. But it's so visually rich. Like, mm-hmm. everything about it is, like, such... It's not just, like, look at this landscape. Yes. It's, like, it's so many choices visually, sonically, all the time. And I think there is, there is a story. There is a story. There is, they yeah. They both, like, have, a, have an internal whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They learn new information yeah. about their past, some of them. Yes. Like, it reminded me of that, the clopping and the driving. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And the clopping is riding a horse. Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. The sound it makes. Yes, when yes. When you ride a horse. Especially when you ride it over rocks, as they do for a lot of this movie. Yeah. I think the comparison to Mad Max is really smart. There are a lot of scenes in this movie, which I think, as you're saying, like, it seems like it's just an excuse for them to shoot this cool Utah landscape. Yes, and explore man-on-man banter. It's like, I have two hours worth of man-on-man banter, so I've put some, I've created some stakes around it, but really it's just them saying things to each other in a way that's kind of cutesy. And I don't think we said this in the before times because I think I looked it up afterwards, but this is written by the same guy who wrote The Princess Bride. This is William Goldman. Sure. And so the banter is good. Like the dialogue is fun. Yes. And yeah, the, any five minutes of it, any yeah. one sequence of it. Yeah, exactly. I would have been like, what a delight. I, I think all of your criticisms are totally fair. I do want to talk about one thing that you had mentioned that you liked about the movie that I also liked about the movie, which is that the main characters are actually charming. Yes. And I feel like so often in movies when we are told by the movie that a character is charming, I don't find them charming. Yes. But Paul Newman, like, just, I don't want to say oozes charisma because that sounds great. Like, he just radiates it. Every time he spoke, I was like, I just want to hang out with you. Like, just, he just seemed like such a joy. Yeah. And, like, I know Robert Redford's character was supposed to be, like, kind of gruff and ragtag compared to Paul Newman, but he was still fun to watch. Yeah, I... Like, even gruff, like, taciturn Robert Redford was still, like, I would hang out with that guy. Yeah, I would have sex with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> very gay yeah like when 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 they've got the sheriff held up in one of the many good individual scenes in a slow movie yes and he says you know i've never met anyone as affable as you butch i'm like i i believe that yeah like there are so many movies where i am told that and i'm like shut up no no you have yeah and this one i'm like no yeah he seems like a legitimately nice guy yeah like they're just a couple of outlaws trying to get along yeah my favorite scene i think is the scene where they hold up the train for the second time yes so they hold up the train for the second time and it's the same minion yes the that, guy that they get they get the same minion and they're like happy to see him yeah and he's happy to see them which i think is yeah. the most this is the best part so they they yes they get the same they're guy like, oh, guarding shit, the vault buddy it's you again. yeah you're back woodcock like yeah yeah woodcock like yeah. you did and they they he they blew him up the first time he gets like exploded across the room yeah and then he's there the second time and mm. they're like what are you doing here like they didn't give you the day off we're getting blown up like <laughs> his arms in a sling he's got a bandage over yeah, his head and he's like, like oh hey it's butch and they're like dude what are you doing here man like we don't want to blow you up again yeah like you don't you don't, you don't need to do that again right come on but like it's great to see you yeah <laughs> Yeah, and when they're like, hey, man, can you open up the door to the bank car for us? And he's just like, man, Butch, for you, I'd love to. But you know who who signs my paychecks. And it's yeah. just, that was a fun scene. Yeah, that was a fun scene. I wish that they had had a thread to tie those. That's just what I mean. Like, I, I think they had a lot of good ideas for scenes. Yeah. But they didn't have a good idea to tie those scenes together. Like, it was just so spare. Yeah. And they didn't want to, like, inject a thing into it. Okay, I'm going to make another comparison. And I will confess that for some reason, this parallel has lived in my mind. And I've like thought of it as probably nonsense, but I've never shaken it. But I've just had in my head without seeing this movie that it is common somehow with Thelma and Louise. Mm. Where did this idea come from? I don't know. But since it was already there, let's think about how it ends. Sure, yes. Like, that mood mm-hmm. is very similar to me. Yes. Up against truly impossible odds, no real way out. Yeah, it's like, we didn't need a way out. We just need a way forward. Right. Uh, I hate spoiling Film on Louise, though. I, I think... hate doing it. I know everybody knows, but I hate doing it because it really, like, hit me. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I'll say what it is in Butch Cassidy. When they go out to meet their deaths, mm-hmm. the film ends before they die. Yes. The film ends with them like running out guns blazing. Yes. And then it just stops. Yeah. 
and you hear them getting shot. Yes. But then it fades to like a secret yes, tone photograph. You know that they died. But yeah. But you don't see it happen. And I think that's a very deliberate filmic choice for those characters. So I don't think my weird, like, how did it come to be? I don't think it's completely off base. But Thelma and Louise is like so, is about so much. And then yes. like, it's like every, they're like evolution mm-hmm. of their shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Everything has to be there. Mm-hmm. And everything changes their dynamic a little bit in a way that's like, who is handling it right now gets switched off several times in unexpected ways. And that's like satisfying to watch. So you could have had those Utah settings mm-hmm. and these charming men and all your patter and like found a way to make it mean something that could have been possible. But it feels yeah. like it almost obstinately was like, no, I saw Waiting for Godot and things don't have to mean anything. Mm-hmm. And I just like am not here for that style of storytelling. Yeah, it's one of the things about the movies I've seen from the late 60s and early 70s that really drives me crazy. Yeah. Of just like, what if we experiment with like not a lot of <laughs> yeah. plot? Yeah, what if it was edgy if nothing mattered? Like stakes have been done before. Yeah. We're the brave frontier where who gives a shit? Right, and it's like, we were talking about this on our way home from the audio store today. Like, if you don't want to be here, I don't want to be here. Right, right. And like, I think Paul Newman and Robert Redford want to be here. Yeah. Did the director want to be there? He wanted to shoot the, his cinematographer wanted to be yeah, there. Yeah, like, did the writer, the writer of The Princess Bride, apparently, like, yeah, I just feel like, what was his, did he, did he want to show that he was clever mm-hmm. or did he want to tell a story? Right. Did he want to convey a truth about the human experience? Mm-hmm. Did he want to explore a theme or did he want people to be like, you're a smart man? Right. You know? Yeah, I know what, I know what you mean. And there's also a little bit of a vibe of, I would wonder since this is pretty early in his career, like he didn't write The Princess Bride for 20 years. And he was working with great source material. He was working with good source material. Have you read that book? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. But he's able to like take a book that has a lot going on and he just like really boils it down to its basic elements yes. and is like, he can hit plot points. Yeah, like, I, I, nail actually, on I actually do think, he did have great source material, but I actually do think the movie is better than the book. I agree. I have a TikTok about that. Oh. <laughs> but yes, I, I absolutely agree. But I would wonder since he was 20 years younger, if it was a little bit like you've been a script doctor in Hollywood for a long time. So like, let's see what you got. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. If he'd been, like, punching things up. Yeah. Yeah, it was, like, two hours of punch-ups. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Two hours of being punched up Mm -hmm. (laughs) and no events. Yeah. Like, it's it's a very quotable movie because the dialogue is good, but, like, yeah, it just doesn't move. Yeah. It just does not move. It moves physically. Sure, yes. Like Mad Max. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But it does Um, not move emotionally. Okay, I would like to say one other thing that I liked about it, Mm -hmm. which is that there's like this poly relationship. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. It it definitely, it feels a little, they were giving me thruple vibes. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid have a... Super thruple vibes. Like, so yeah, so they have a girl because who watches a movie without a woman, but like, I guess it's cool that she like decides to go with them to South America. But Mm -hmm. like, other than that, like fails the sexy lamp test. Yeah. Which should I say what that is? We have know? mentioned in the podcast before, but you should say it just to clarify. Just if, yeah, if for those of you just joining us, the sexy lamp test is if the woman in the story could be replaced by a sexy lamp, then you've, you've failed the test. Right, without changing any of the <laughs> this, plot. I got, from, I got that from Ari. I forget where she got it from. Okay, I think yeah. she might have gotten it from Lindy West. I'm not sure. So they have a, a woman and she hangs out with them for like some of the movie and like she's, they don't do anything too like I was not upset mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they don't have her do like dumb shit like she doesn't right. like trip at a critical moment or like yes so that's nice like they give her some credit she um, speaks better Spanish than either yes of them. that's true she becomes their Spanish teacher but she is ostensibly with the Sundance kid but we only see them to get we barely see them together and the movie takes like 10 minutes out of its running time to have her go on a bike ride with yes. Butch Cassidy <laughs> yes and like like him just like charm her, her no end, just like like mm-hmm. have her rolling and laugh, like just like the best afternoon. Yeah, she says something as they're like rolling back up to her little cabin or whatever. She's like, "Do you ever think? Do you ever think if we'd met first, 
that it would have been us, which is like exactly what the woman would have to say in that situation. And he's like, well, no, we we are involved. Don't you see? You're riding around on my bicycle. Mm-hmm. And then like whenever, I don't know, just like the whole rest of the movie, like as they get up to stuff as like a little thruple. Yeah. It just seems like like everybody knows what's up. Mm -hmm. And is like super cool with it. Like it seems like she, the story the movie is telling is that she only has sex with the Sundance kid. Yes. But like they're definitely all three in love. Yeah. I'm getting a lot of like less than a lover, more than a friend vibes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And (laughs) it's like, and everybody, and there's no like weirdness over her between the two men. Yeah. Because they love each other the most. Yeah, which is interesting because at the beginning of the movie, they don't know each other's real names. Yeah, it's sort of a running thing how little they know about each other, which is like one of the things that's so charming about it is mm-hmm. they like share these little details and it's like, what? And it's like, well, you never asked. And it's like, that's sometimes how it is though. Yeah, and that is also a very like straight men in the 19th century thing. I mean, it's a straight men now thing, but yeah. it's also definitely a straight men in the 19th century. It's like, well, you didn't ask. I wasn't going to like tell no, you. No, but it's like, isn't it nice when like, I didn't know until I moved in here that Ari lived in Amsterdam or whatever. Like, isn't it nice when you like, and I've known mm-hmm. her for whatever, like 15 years. Like, isn't it nice when you know somebody really well? And then it's like, oh, well, I, I never thought to inquire, but like just never came up. Yeah, no, that, that's true. <laughs> they just like live a life where stuff doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. And then when it does, they're like, oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> yeah, there's. No, it's like, it's cute. It's cute. It's cute. I feel about this movie the way you felt about Seven Samurai, where I'm like, I get why people like this movie. Yeah. There are redeeming qualities to this movie. Oh, yeah. There are things about this movie that it does really well. And if someone were to tell me, oh, I love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, particularly if they were older, I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm not going to actively dissuade you from enjoying this movie. And it's not a, it's like a, a man movie that mm. is not a red flag. Yes, if it is. If some man says this is their favorite movie, that's an okay answer. Yeah. <laughs> Do I, not be alarmed by that man. I agree. That's probably a good guy, actually, I would say. Yeah, because what he's probably responding to is the patter and yeah. the charmingness of the leads. Yeah, I feel like it's like a really positive representation of like male friendship. Yes, that is true. And so if you're like, like if you meet a dude that's like, that's his model for like, what male intimacy should be like that's yeah yeah like they make fun of each other but in a way where you don't ever feel like they're cruel to each other yeah no like love each other yeah each of them has a moment where they reveal like an important in the moment and somewhat embarrassing truth to the other one and like a, a relevant vulnerability (laughs) yes like when they there's a point where they need to jump off of a cliff into a raging river to survive yeah and robert redford is like i'm not doing it i can't do it i can't do it and butch is like we gotta do it and he's like oh i can shoot i can shoot my way out of this because sundance kid very good at shooting he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna do it and he's like no don't do it just jump into the river and he just goes i I can't swim butch and butch cassie just stares at him and he just laughs at him and he's just he's like, like we're gonna die it's so far yeah he's like this isn't a real plan this is a roll of the dice man yeah. like you're not gonna have to swim yeah <laughs> we're probably you're, gonna yeah, just die yeah <laughs> yeah and then later on in the movie where butch cassidy reveals like an hour and 40 into the movie and it was one of those things where when he said it i thought about it and i was like oh that's probably true he reveals that he'd never shot anyone in a situation where he was going to need to shoot someone. And Robert Redford's like, well, "Well, you picked a hell of a time to tell me. You think you could shoot the two guys on the right? And he was like, if I gotta. He was like, you gotta. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I liked their relationship. It's just, there's so much air in the movie. And I wish that I had seen it enriched somehow. I guess the things that we're describing are kind of similar to the like, turns of power that I'm saying that I want that are in Thelma and Louise, but like, it's not enough. Yeah. It's not enough. Facts are not enough. Yes, I agree. So yeah. can I introduce the Kane Casablanca continuum for classic movies? Okay. So if you set just a line and on one end of the line, you have Citizen Kane, a movie that you would never want to see again. And on the other end of the line is Casablanca. That I, we. Yes, that we never need to see again. This is just for us. This is a subjective scale. On the other end, Casablanca, a classic movie we both loved. Yeah. Okay, I will say, though, that while I did really enjoy Casablanca, that would not be the end of that line for me. Sure. I'm mostly using stuff we've covered. Yeah, okay. And in the middle, Seven Samurai. It is for someone. It is not for me. Where on that line do you put Butch Cassidy? Because I'd put it somewhere around Seven Samurai. Yeah. 
I guess I would too. It's a mixed bag because Seven Samurai was a lot more eventful, but it was longer. We watched it over two days. Like, I think mm-hmm. I was equally bored in both of them for different reasons. And, like, it took me a long time to, like, warm to any of the personalities in Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't until that one guy was like, I'll go get the gun, that I was like, I have a person. You have in a dog this in the film. fight? Yeah. yeah. And I did. I was immediately charmed by Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So, like, I don't know. It's just like different. It's different pros and cons. I wouldn't tell someone if there's a threshold of telling someone to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it I don't think it crosses that for me. But right. I also wouldn't tell them to not watch it. Exactly. It's like if they were like, I want to watch this movie because I think it's it'll be the kind of thing I like. I wouldn't be like, okay, it won't be. Yeah. Like, don't get your hopes too high. I'd be like, well, good luck to you. Yeah. Like if you're a fan of Westerns, which I guess now we're veering into like, who is this movie for? Yeah. I think you're right. It wasn't really for either of us. But if you are a fan of Westerns, I think you're probably going to enjoy this. If you have seen Paul Newman and Robert Redford and stuff and you just want to see them do stuff in a movie. Yeah. Great. Have fun. I'm never going to tell you not to. I'm trying to think of like other Westerns that I've ever seen. And it's like. I've only seen a few. I don't know. They're not. They're never great. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) The Revenant sucked. So like this one's not bad, I guess. So yeah, if you like the performers, if you like this genre, if you are a fan of movies from the late 60s, so I guess what that's saying is, are you old or pretentious? Yeah, like, I don't know. I think you already know if you want this movie or not. Yeah, similar to Seven Samurai, where we're like, yeah, "Yeah." I think the difference is like, I think we're more aligned on our feeling about this movie than we were about Seven Samurai. So I'm guessing it's not in your curriculum. It's not in my curriculum, but like... I took a film course to fulfill a requirement Mm -hmm. (laughs) and because I needed an A to raise my GPA to study abroad. I stayed for like a summer session to take a film course (laughs) and it was absolute nonsense. And I know we watched at least one Western, if not two, and I did not like them. And I I did not like this, but I feel like it's a little better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it at least has charm. I would call this movie charming to a fault. Or it's like you focus so much on trying to yes. make them fun yeah, that you forgot about making the movie yeah, you, fun. Yeah, you did all charm. Yeah, and I feel like because it's a Western, I'm pulled to say like, oh, yeah, you could definitely put this in mythologizing Americana if you wanted to because it is. Yeah, like that's I guess what I'm Westerns are. That if, you, that if, you're gonna, if there's going to be a film course that someone takes to raise their GPA just so they can study abroad, if the Western they choose is this, that's not the worst thing. Yeah, I think so. Small sample size, but like if you must watch a Western, this one's a pretty fun one because it's a little bit not what you would expect a Western to be. Because as you say, it's very charming. I just remember the guy assigned his own book, which is a thing that happens sometimes. It was not very well written and it was sectioned by decades and it got to the 80s. I was like really excited to get to the 80s and then it didn't mention John Hughes. And I was That's like, wild. what are you talking about film history? I'm sure the quality of the information about the 60s and 70s is much higher. But like, if that's what you know, then just write a book about films of the 60s and 70s. Don't pretend. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to the 90s, he showed us the film Crash, which was made in 2001 mm-hmm. and is not good. And like, he barely knew. Like, there were so many filmic phenomenons of the 90s that you right. could have talked about yeah just like be a total film bro put on pulp fiction sure and yeah. call it a day yeah like seriously yeah wild so could you design a film curriculum that is worse than the film curriculum that includes butch casting and the suntan skin yes you absolutely could i've seen it yeah so i guess for me this goes into like optional reading for whatever class this is in like you don't need it But if someone's like, if you've already made it to the end of the list of like other Paul Newman and Robert Redford movies. Yeah, I think you know if you you want it or not. And I, I think one thing that I like to try to address is like, should you be embarrassed? Like if someone does try to shame you, 
mm-hmm. for not knowing it. No, you should not be embarrassed, but you should also like respect that person's interest in it, I think. Yes, I think you do not need to feel shame, but yeah. you but can are, be interested. Yeah, hear them out. Because there, I feel there are other things that I've been like, no, do not let anyone make you feel embarrassed. You should make that person embarrassed that they've brought this up as like a peak of anything. Yes. Don't do that about this. Yeah. To my friends, I know we've dunked on my friends who like Chinatown's credit uh-huh. uh, a bit on this show. Yeah. To their credit, they only bring up Chinatown after I've done it first. Yeah. Whenever I'm like, oh, hey, everyone, fuck Chinatown. And they're like, oh, but I like Chinatown. You know, yeah. it's never like, oh, Anthony. Yeah. You got to watch Chinatown. No, I, in some ways we're making this podcast too late in our lives because I feel like this is really, de- it's, people don't do that to me as much anymore. This is true. But I feel like that was a big part of like being in college and being in my 20s is like mm-hmm. other people my age thrusting their a cultural focus mm-hmm. at me and then being like, you don't know that, you don't know this thing. Yeah. Like, who do you think you are? Yeah, well, I mean, the internet still does that to everyone. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. judgment on the internet knows no age. And also, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are younger than us and they're having to deal with the same shit. Yeah, maybe it just, yeah, maybe it just moved online. Yeah, and also I think aggressively pretentious people just don't get invited to parties. Also, we've barely seen anyone in two years. Well, that's true. Maybe that's why it's, I'm like, it's because I'm in my 30s now, but no, my 30s have been almost exclusively indoors. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. Okay, do you have anything else that you want to say about Butch Cassidy? No. Okay, so should we take a quick break and then come back for Velvet Underground? Sure. Okay. I'm Adam Wainwright. And I'm Ed Kennard. And we're the hosts of The Greatest Song Ever Sung Poorly, the podcast that takes karaoke exactly as seriously as it should be taken. No interview was complete without our quick fire game where we ask everyone the same five questions, culminating in the most important question we could ever ask. If you could magically strike one song from every karaoke playlist forever, which song would you choose? Don't stop believing. Oh, Ice Ice Baby. Great. Just because that song needs to be destroyed for all time. Easy Lover by Phil Collins. I think Picture. Picture is just a song of love and heartbreak. Uh, and it just, it ruins nights. I want to say Sweet Caroline. Probably My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Only one? Only one. Um, can I, can I pick one band? So hey, if you love karaoke, have sang karaoke, been in a place where karaoke was happening, or are vaguely aware that something called karaoke exists, come hang out with us. All episodes and info are available at sungpoorly.com. And remember that singing off key is still technically singing. Okay, we are back we to are talk about back. the Velvet Underground. Yes. Do you want to count us in? Uh, oof. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to say, though. One, two, three. Gummy vitamins. Important, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say gummy vitamins because, like, I don't know. Sometimes they taste good. Yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. they're more like candy. I was struggling with this one. I feel like I had a similar reaction to this one as I had to Public Enemy, oh. where I was just like, I would go back and forth and be like, they're so important. There's such a seminal piece of music, but there's a lot of it that just doesn't <laughs> do it for me. Well, so I feel like I want to hear from you because you were a clean slate coming this is into true. this. But I, okay, so I believe I said in the before times that I already knew the banana thing. And yes. then I, for this, I listened to their other albums. And mostly I was like, oh, you don't need the other one. You just need the banana thing. Mm-hmm. Like the other albums are like, some solid rock and roll. Like if you like rock and roll from that time, it's like an interesting perspective on gender and drug use. Yes. But like I found very little to be like, oh God, where has this been? Yeah. I will say just at the top, I don't think I said this in the before times, I have a bit of a bias against the 1960s. Okay. Because whenever I see hippie culture, I'm like, you fuckers all sold out the revolution, voted for Nixon and Reagan. So I don't buy any of what you're selling me right now. I know this is all going to go bad in about three years. Sure. So I'm already coming into it a little bit of a skeptic. Yeah. I will say that- A lot of them died. A lot of them died. It wasn't their fault. This is true. I'm thinking about the ones who grew up to be yuppies. Yeah. So there's four albums- The first two are, I felt like, even though I liked the first one better than the second one, the Banana album is an incredibly important piece of like acid rock from the 1960s. And then the second one is a much less listenable album, but it is like one of the first punk albums. Sure. Yeah. And it does have a lot of like 
interesting experiments. Yes, and that go on as we said with Tom Waits. You could make a drinking game on this podcast of when in the episode are we going to bring up Tom Waits? Yeah. Not every experiment is a success, but that right. doesn't mean that, that they shouldn't have been done. Yeah. But then the next two albums, their final two albums are like... Pretty straightforward, like early 70s rock. Yeah, exactly. Which is not a bad thing. It's just like, I don't need to take the time out of my day to listen to more of that. I already listened to so much of that growing up. I think listening to their other work really made me feel like I don't think we're giving Nico enough credit. Mm -hmm. Like I'm always like, oh yeah. And they had this like guest violinist on this album, but it's like then listening to their other stuff, it's like, no, maybe the banana one is so good because Nico is there. And that's just like typical giving men credit for rock and roll. Like we just love to think that women don't know how to do the rock and roll, especially at that time. Yeah. And that's maybe not right. But a takeaway that I was playing around with with those first two albums is like, I know I had this story in my head as I was discovering the music of the 60s as -hmm. like a middle school student that like there were some very important rock and roll bands, especially moving into the 70s that like developed the sound of like rock and roll that persists today. But that the Beatles were the most important band because they like single-handedly created this like room for weirdness. Mm-hmm. Like they started out so just like everything that is expected, but the best version of that. And then I think the Beatles are a great way. Like I think every like fifth or sixth grader should listen to every Beatles album in order, but like not just once, like the time of like mid fifth to mid sixth, Mm-hmm. You should make your way through them and like sit with each one mm-hmm. and just like just go through the 60s that way as a 10 year old. Sure. <laughs> I like I think that's a great way to it's that's what I did and look how mm-hmm. I turned out. Um, <laughs> but it, it's because they really like move through. This is how we're incorporating influences into like this is how we're moving the form forward and this is all the weird shit we're gonna try mm-hmm. and we're gonna go in a couple different we're gonna push in a couple different directions and just expand what's possible like album by album to acclimate your little ears yeah and this this to me was like oh but they weren't even though it was only like a couple years later that i got into the banana album i just wasn't like placing it in time i guess i was like this is a fun piece of like queer history or whatever Mm -hmm. but it's like no it was the same time as like the white album and shit it's the same month as sergeant pepper as sergeant pepper Mm -hmm. holy shit so that's why it didn't sell you know what else is the same month as sergeant pepper and i know this just because of trivia but are you experienced Oh, shit. Like, what a month. Yeah. So I was just sitting with, like, how, like, they really didn't do it by themselves. And I Mm -hmm. think that is, I think, certain Beatles fans, because they still exist, Mm -hmm. of all ages. Yes. Not just boomers. Yes. But mostly white men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Will have you believe that the Beatles did this on, that the Beatles made modern music, like, from scratch on their own. Mm-hmm. And I think the Velvet Underground and Nico, the Andy Warhol album teaches mm-hmm. us very clearly that they did not. Yes. That album only sold 30,000 copies, but every one of those people who bought that album started a band. I feel like I've heard that exact quote said about Green Day. Really? Yeah, about their like first little like, oh, like, wild. like tape or whatever. Oh. It's like huh. before they hit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I don't think of them as an unpopular band, but I, I understand no, what but you I mean. Think, but I feel like they have a one that is like the before one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of bands do. Yes. And it was like, yeah, that circulated the Bay Area. And like they only pressed so many, but then every person in the Bay Area was like, I am in a band. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would believe that. I would absolutely believe that. I don't know. I just... No, but it is, is as you say, an interesting view on another take of the same time period because there are ways in which it sounds very similar, but there are ways in which they were really like, I know Beatles fans say that the Beatles pushed the envelope and there's going to be some Beatles fans showing up in our comments and leaving us mediocre reviews saying... They did. But compare that to... Right. They weren't the only ones. And compare that to the stuff that they're doing especially on their second album. Yes. Well, okay. So yes, that's why I was surprised. If you know the Beatles, I was surprised that Andy Warhol was the same year as Sgt. Pepper. I would have been like right around the the White Album, right? Mm -hmm. Because on the White Album, they do get like cacophonous and shit. But Sgt. Pepper is still like pretty melodious. Mm -hmm. And like, it's a little, it's definitely a, it's definitely a, a step 
towards the weird. Yeah. It's definitely a push, but it's not compared to Venus and Furs. Can we just focus on the banana for a sec? So if you are going to engage with this music, I don't feel that the latter three albums are super necessary. Mm-hmm. If you listen to Andy Warhol and if you listen to that and you love it, then go try at least White Lights, White Heat. But like, if you don't know, if you don't have a clear idea when I say the words Venus and Furs, if that doesn't immediately pull up a sound file for you, go listen to that song right now. That is one of the best songs of the late 60s. Yeah, and it's so, nothing sounded like it before and nothing has sounded like it since. This is this has come up so much lately. The like game on TikTok where you say what a song is from one note of it. Yeah. Anyone who's heard that song one time could tell you that it's that song, even if they forgot the name of it. Mm-hmm. It's just a really special, like it's a, it's a whole vibe, man. Mm-hmm. I had the thought I was listening to it a little bit the other day, that specific song, and I was like, go ask Alice wishes it was this song. Ooh, sick. <laughs> and like I don't hate Go Ask Alice, but Go like Ask Alice is it was pretty good also though. It is, yeah, but like you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. Like I want to go up to like half the music supervisors in Hollywood and whenever they're like, oh, I should use Go Ask Alice in this year. Like, I want to be like, this is actually what you want. Have I got a recommendation for you? Yeah. I feel like, I don't, has it ever been covered? I feel like it hasn't been covered because it's like the point of it is the way that it sounds right yeah. now. Why would mm-hmm. you, like, I would love to hear someone even try to imitate it. Mm-hmm. Like, can we get Taylor Swift on that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would be like, wild. How has she so perfectly mimicked the sounds? Like oh of yes 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 you know of herself I mean? yes yeah so I mean I, obviously it helps that it was her the first time but like sound engineers some somebody make Venus and Furs again mm-hmm. and make it sound like that again yeah what did they do um, somebody make me Venus and Furs as it appears in Moulin Rouge um that's what I want Venus and Furs does not actually appear in Moulin Rouge right no no okay. like I want like I want the version of it mm-hmm. that would. Sure. Call Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Or whoever, whichever character you think is going to do it. Yeah. Like the, there's a cover of um Florence, Florence. Oh, Florence, Florence and the Machine. But it's without the machine. Just oh her. yeah. It's just, yes. Florence Welch. Yes. Covered Tiny Dancer. Yeah. And that song I feel like could have been in Moulin Rouge. Can we just go around like Moulin Rougeifying mm-hmm. classic rock songs? Yeah. That's what I want. Like, like <laughs> the inverse of what they did to The Greatest Showman. Where yes. they were like, what if we made this by bands? Yeah, what if we just took these songs and made them by bands? I want to I want you to take these band songs and make them a musical, but like a really like a not shy musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you haven't seen Moulin Rouge. Do it. Yeah, what are you waiting for? You might hate it, but um, watch it's a, it. It's a very specific aesthetic, not just visually, but like the songs are rather of a piece. Mm-hmm. I also feel a lot of affection for the track Heroin. It's a little tough. Mm-hmm. But it, it just, it paints something for me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think it's only two chords. It's like an eight minute song that only has two chords in it and makes a lot of use of cacophony. It does. And like slow and fast and soft and loud. There's a lot of juxtaposition. Yeah. But it's like the way that the sounds fall apart and then fall back together is also like very special and moving to me. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not as flashy as Venus and Furs, but I think it is also another sort of perfect like snow globe of a song of like, this is no, nobody else could have made this thing. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's a really interesting exploration and one that I listened to their live album. Did you listen to live at Max's Kansas City? I did not. I listened. I did not do more than I had to for this because I found them boring. Like as soon as I was listening to their other stuff, I was like, every time I listened to one of their other albums, I was like, I just want to listen to Andy Warhol again. And I don't know if it's like because I already knew it and so it was familiar, but I think it's because it's better. I mean, it is a, that album is pretty indisputable and it's not just its importance, but also its enjoyability. It's a very enjoyable album. Yeah. White Light, White Heat is very important, but much less enjoyable to listen to because they were taking some wild swings. And I'm fine that they did it, but truly, especially that last track, it's 12 minutes of just noise, like cacophonous noise. And at the end, I just have to like sit with my noise canceling headphones on with nothing playing. I'm just (laughs) Just like- Noise, noise canceled. (laughs) Just noise canceled. Noise has been canceled. Where was I going with that? Oh, I listened to Live at Max's Kansas City. Oh yeah. 
and they were taking requests from the audience for songs and someone called out heroin and this was in like 1972 and they were like we don't play heroin anymore which i thought was interesting it's like what about that song made you stop i guess because like multiple members of the bands were addicts but like not we don't play that live we don't play that anymore which means like it's definitely doable live because i could understand them being like we're not doing an eight minute cacophony song live it relies a little on the violin so that might be part of it Mm. but i i wonder because they have lots of they have lots of songs about drugs right they can't possibly be going around not doing any songs about drugs anymore yeah and so what is it i think that is like a testament to it's power to capture the experience of heroin yeah (laughs) but i feel like it is there's something about it that feels like dangerous that feels like keep this under glass a little bit like only certain people should have the passcode to the song heroin because unlike most other songs about doing particularly opiates yeah it really explores how much fun it is yes and a lot of songs about drugs including other songs of theirs about drugs are a verbal expression of the experience of doing those drugs set to music. But I think heroin is really trying to use like the whole song. It almost matters less like what he's saying about it. Some of the lyrics are like pretty profound. Yeah. But like, I feel like that's not even, I feel like the most profound thing is the sound bath Mm -hmm. of it. I don't know another way to say it, but the way that it falls, that the that the sounds get mixed up and jumbled and crazy and then mm-hmm. realign. Yeah, the structure of the sounds is meant to emulate the experience of doing drugs. Yes. Which is... And I, I personally think does a pretty good job. Yeah. As two people who have never done heroin? <laughs> no, I've, I have never done heroin. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Great question. But I feel like, (laughs) I feel like if you take enough of those pills, Mm -hmm. it's like not that different. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) Yeah. Something I did the other day when I was walking is I was listening to some of the Andy Warhol album. I had listened to White Lights, White Heat pretty recently. And then I was like, I'm going to put Slater Kinney on again. Mm. Going to return to Dig Me Out. And I did. And as I was listening to it, I was like, okay. Several steps in between, but we don't get dig me out without white lights, white heat. And like, I appreciate it. As I think you said when we were playing pop song deathmatch last weekend, you are honored. (laughs) I see you. And there's like, I'm never going to tell anyone that Velvet Underground is a bad band because I I don't think they are. I think they're incredibly talented. And I think that there is some of their stuff that is very listenable and they have individual songs that I think are brilliant yeah other than the banana album is there any of their albums that i would willfully buy and just put on probably not yeah no i think that's what i learned from this yeah there might be other lou reed i think we should do lou reed as a separate thing so who is velvet underground for i think the banana album is in my curriculum yeah i think that is for people who care at all about where music comes from yeah and just like good and unique songs yeah the banana album is definitely in my curriculum and i would say if i met anyone who was like oh man i'm so into punk i would be like hey man velvet underground's white lights white heat is that considered punk I hear what you're saying, but I just feel like people who are really into punk, like, do they do they know that? Mm. Do they know that? And do they want to think? Like, do they care? Because like the whole point of punk is like, I don't give a shit. And that it came from like certain specific like punk origin. I don't know it exactly, but I feel like there are like acknowledged flashpoints that became punk that there's a certain amount of like loyalty to. But I don't know. Yeah, try it out. I would say I'm going to start using this album again even though i've known it this entire time i'm gonna start using it as a power move if people try to talk to me about the beatles Mm. or like 60s rock generally if people try to like remind me that that's important i'm gonna steer them to the banana album and then if we vibe there then i'll respect their authority on the matter but if they're like, oh, no, sorry, I was just trying to talk about Rocky Raccoon, all Rocky Raccoon, <laughs> all the time, then I'm going to be like, okay, we'd, we're done here. Sorry, I don't talk about bands that have had songs covered by Christian rock bands. 
Because I can guarantee you no Velvet Underground song has ever been covered by a Christian rock band. Yeah, I just feel like it still comes up sometimes. I mean, again, again, now we're now we're in our 30s and it's been a pandemic, but at least until the day I quit theater, there were still boys trying to talk to me about the Beatles all the time. Mm-hmm. Like my contemporaries trying to be like, anytime you give a boy the aux cord, it's like, what's something that everybody likes? The Beatles? Everybody? You want you want the Beatles? You want to listen to the Beatles right now? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Sixth grade me wants to listen to the Beatles. That is the time for the Beatles now. I'm so sorry to the olds for whom this like changed your 20s. Sixth grade is the year for the Beatles now. You can stop after that. I feel like this was the answer that was sitting in front of me all the, all along is to just like challenge that boy with like, oh my God, great idea. Or you know what I want? Actually, Velvet Underground. Can you put on Velvet Underground? Yeah. Same year. Can't get mad. Same year, just a little bit gayer and a little bit weirder. Yeah. That's a test to me. Like mm-hmm. the, the person's response to that, I think would tell you a lot. Right. If somebody's like Beatles, yes. Velvet Underground, no. That's not a safe person. <laughs> not a trustworthy person to talk to yes, no, about really music. <laughs> or in general, <laughs> don't trust that person. Like <laughs> if they say Beatles, yes. Velvet Underground, ooh, I've never done that. What is that? Different. If they're under 24, and that's what they say. If they're over 24 and they are pushing the Beatles. Gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. And you push back with Velvet Underground and they say either no or I don't know that thing. Don't trust that person. Mm -hmm. That tells me that they are listening to the Beatles for the wrong reasons. They are taking the wrong things away from the Beatles. They are taking away like white male supremacy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which is a ridiculous thing to say because... The Velvet Underground are also white males, but like, I don't know how to reconcile that. Yeah. I don't know how to get out of that, but it feels true. Yeah. There, there's something about the Velvet Underground that it's like, okay. Nico's there. Nico's there. It's like, if you are going to push the music of the late 60s, then you should be pushing the music of the late 60s. And there is no talking about the music of the late 60s without the yes, Velvet Underground. It's like, if that's the sound that you want, but you only want the Beatles then you're you're pretending that you want the envelope pushing, but really you still want to have one foot in Love Me Do. You know what I mean? You, on, mm-hmm. you only want the envelope pushed by like four really wholesome mop top dudes. Yeah. You, on, you only want the envelope pushed in this way that has come to be so safe. Right. Not like five heroin addicts from New York City. Yeah. And their weird writing, German writing, friend. Yeah, and their weird German friend writing songs about like BDSM dungeons. Yeah. If you're not ready for that, then I feel like you're drawing the wrong lessons from the Beatles. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> so what class is this for? I know you say the first album's in your curriculum. I, I agree. I don't know what to put it in, though. Just, yeah, yeah, just like, well, I make them up every time. So, like, I don't know, like, music taste? Where, where, the, where the things you like came from? Gummy vitamins and you. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Sure. Yeah, I know. Like music just history like, is like, such a, like a... No, but just like, just listen to it. Just like, just go listen to it. Yeah. If you're going to hand someone an individual album and be like, this album is important. Yeah. No one is ever going to fight you if you hand them Andy Warhol. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they should not. Everyone you hand it to who has not heard it will will learn something. Yeah. They're allowed to not like it. Yes. But, but they'll, they'll learn something. They'll get something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. There also, I should say that it was once observed to me by a camp counselor that something that was fun to him about the album is that like every other song is like weird and experimental. Like, and we sort of focused on talking about those ones, but every other song is like a pretty like fluffy, charming pop song mm-hmm. that fits right into the times. Yeah. Like the I'll Be Your Mirrors. Yes. Of the album, the All Tomorrow's Parties even. I really like All Tomorrow's Parties. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You'll, you'll learn something. If you listen to it, if you know, if you know what songs from then sounded like, it's like there's a fun balance of like, here's another take on that. And also some really weird stuff that's going to turn out to be really important. Yeah. If you listen to the first album and you like it, go listen to the other three. Like, like we said before, they're not, they are very talented musicians. The other three albums are interesting to listen to in their own way, especially the second one. You're probably going to just want to keep returning to the first one. And that is totally okay. Is how I felt. Yeah. I will say that their live album, Max's at Kansas City, was a pretty interesting listen because they were playing from stuff across their whole catalog. 
And so it was like, well, how do they think of themselves yeah. in, you know, towards the end of their tenure? Yeah, that's it's also if I'd been more thorough. It's also fun because whoever was working the mic between the songs was also like actively trying to buy Quaaludes in between the songs and it picked up on the mic and they just left it in, Amazing. which I think is very fun. Quaaludes, man. What happened to them? Yeah. I feel like there's the fashionable drugs of all the times and then it's like, oh, those are super dangerous. Don't do those anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Quaaludes were the benzos of the yeah, 70s. Definitely. And then benzos were the benzos of like the 90s. And now everyone's like, oh my God, that's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so anything else you want to say about Velvet Underground? No. Okay. Well, I guess then that about wraps it up for us on this episode. So remember to like, comment, subscribe. Oh, yeah. Like, comment, subscribe is YouTube. Please. No, but you know what we mean. Yeah. Well, Just please leave us. We're, a, we're, we're young and we're starting out and we need your, we need you to circulate us yeah so just go do it yeah share us with your friends share us with your family rate and review us on anywhere you get your podcasts we are getting reviews at uh i would call it a fairly steady clip all things considered so just remember oh i remembered yes i did want to bitch about how we got our first three star review yes we who did that yeah we talked about that we did we have talked about this yeah if you if you are out there first of all no we don't need you if you if like why are you still here yeah you know you don't if that's how you feel you shouldn't be spending your time yeah on that that i feel that's a bummer for you yes absolutely but if you're not here i hope you're not for your sake yeah every Everybody else, let this be a lesson to you. You don't have to like it. It's not, you're not going to change anything about this. You're not going to like, like the only reason to leave a lesser review is because you hope to influence the future and you're not going to do that. All it does is give us another rating and increase our power. Sure. So (laughs) just be aware you are expanding our tiny corner of the internet, random anonymous person. Yeah. But do please, with all that being said, rate and review us wherever you find your podcast. Also subscribe. And where can they find you on social media? Oh, I am at Trash Analysis on TikTok. And I am at Anxious Archway on Twitter and TikTok. And if you want to follow the show, we are at Sophisticate Pod. You can follow us there. That is where we post all of our episodes and... Things like that. I don't have any other socials besides TikTok. Honestly, TikTok and Twitter are effectively my only socials, and I'm yeah. I barely use Twitter for myself. No, I just think it's fun. People think it's funny that I I skipped them all from. I just had a Facebook, and then now I'm all over TikTok. I skipped all the ones in between. Mm-hmm. This is true. I don't need them. I don't need those ones. I don't. Yeah, they weren't fun until TikTok. So until next time, thank you for listening. Yeah, this thank has been you for your time. Yeah, this has been. Uh, I'm a sophisticate, and so can you. Good night and good luck. <laughs>